are continuing our series entitled Anchored. The writer of Hebrews made this declaration. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul. And what's he referring to? He's referring to, just as there are the two flukes on the, on the traditional anchor, we have God's vows, what God says about himself, and God's promises, what he speaks over us. We have God's vows and God's promises, and they provide for us this living hope, and they serve as an anchor for our soul. When life is challenging, when the difficulties mount, when there seem to be more questions than answers, we have this living hope, right? He has given us new birth into a living hope. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. Psalm 33 is a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a declaration of praise. It's a declaration of praise that's, that's written by David. In fact, m- uh, many scholars believe this, that Psalm 33 is actually an extension of Psalm 32. And so we know that Psalm 32 is written by David, and it naturally would make us understand that Psalm 33 is, is, is written by David as well. And David writes this. At the time that he writes it, he's the most powerful man on the planet, right? David is this guy that people sang this about. They said this about, uh, about David. They said the, the, the current king, when David was a young man, they said David, the, the current king has killed thousands. David, David has killed ten thousands of our enemies, right? David was, David was in this time period, David was considered to be a superhero. David was considered to be a superhero. Number one, he was a powerful warrior. Number two, he was an amazing leader. Number three, under David's rule, the nation of Israel had massively expanded its size. And then beyond that, there was this story of David and the giant, right? You're familiar with that story? That, that this, this massive giant, some, some people say that the giant was nine feet tall. Some say the giant was as much as 13 feet tall. But this massive giant, this guy named Goliath, who was a, a Philistine, one of the enemies to the people of Israel, he threatened the entire nation of Israel and he, and he tried to get one one person from one man from Israel to come and to fight him. And if, if Goliath won, then the Philistines would rule over all of Israel. If this one Israelite could defeat Goliath, then the Philistines would serve, would, would serve Israel. But who could face a nine-foot-tall man? Who could face a 13-foot-tall man? And David, when he was yet a boy, said, do not fear. In fact, he made a statement to King Saul, who was the biggest, tallest, toughest guy in the land, supposedly. He said this to King Saul. He said, oh, king, do not lose heart on account of this Philistine, for I will fight him. And the king said, yeah, I don't think so. And David said, listen, king, I've got this. Right? And Goliath steps out being a giant of a man, and not just a giant of a man, having superior weaponry, this massive shield. In this spear that had a shaft that looked like a telephone pole. David steps out into the valley where, 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 where Goliath is saying, hey, somebody come fight me. When Goliath sees him, he says, what is this? You send a, am I a dog? Did you send a boy out here to fight me? Goliath looks at David and he says, come here, you little punk. In 1 Samuel, it doesn't say little punk. That's the Ed Garvin translation. But, but he, 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 in essence, says, he says, come here. 
He says, listen, I'm, I'm going I'm to, if, if they're going to send you out here, I'm going to make an example out of you. I'm going I'm to feed you today to the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. David looks at Goliath and he says, listen, you come against me with sword and spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. I, you're sadly mistaken, my friend. You think you're going to feed me to the birds, of the, uh, the birds of the air and the beasts of the field? No, today, uh, today is your judgment day. Right? And David, having no weaponry, only having a sling and a few smooth stones, three smooth stones, he uses that sling and that stone. He, he puts a rock right in the middle of Goliath's head. Goliath goes down, and he takes Goliath's own sword and chops off Goliath's head. Let me tell you, that will make you legendary. That will make you superhero. And David writes... Having received all this acclamation, having received all this praise, he writes and he says this, the one who is worthy of our praise, the one who is worthy of our adoration, is the one in which we should place our hope. See, I'm convinced today of this. I'm convinced today that one of the biggest reasons that we live stressed out lives, one of, the, one of the biggest reasons that we live lives riddled with anxiety is because we live with too much false hope. And we place our hope, we place our confidence, we place our trust in those things that are not sustainable, those things that do not have the ability to protect us, to provide for us, to be there when times really matter. And David had come to understand this. David, in the midst of both his failures and his successes, in the midst of great challenges, and in the midst of historic victories, David came to understand that if we're going to have hope, that our hope has to be in the Lord. And it's with that understanding, it's with that disposition that he writes Psalm 33. And look at what it says at the beginning of Psalm 33. It says this, Sing joyful to, joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. Boy, that's a true statement, isn't it? It's fitting for the upright to praise Him. Now, it's easy. I will say this. It's easy in the daily life to get caught up in the issues of the moment. Right? It's easy in daily life to, to find yourself frustrated by the issues of the day and for it to rob your joy and also for it to skew your perspective. You get up in the morning and you've got your day planned out. And you go in and you prepare to get dressed and, and you pull out the shirt you're going to wear and it's got a stain on it. Oh. Right? You find something else to wear, although it's not what you plan, and it's kind of thrown off your whole day. Now you go into the kitchen, and you're going to make quick breakfast. You don't have time to do anything big, so you, you, grab, you grab that box of cereal, right? And so you're going to have your Apple Jacks in the morning, and, uh, or, 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 or Sugar Snaps, whatever is your, your, your preference. I have to tell you, for me, I'm a Honey Nut Cheerios guy. So you, you grab your Honey Nut Cheerios, and you, and, you, and you begin to you pour your cereal, and then you go into the refrigerator, and you go, and you grab the gallon of milk. I don't know if this ever happens at your house, but you grab the gallon of milk, and you open it up, and there's this, there's this, just this like, this, this wafer-thin layer of milk on the bottom of the milk jug. Who does that, by the way? Just on a side note, I mean, I mean, totally 
totally, let's, let's, let's leave the, the sermon for a moment. Who does that? Who thinks it's a good idea to put an empty milk jug in the refrigerator? Am I the only one who has, who has ever experienced that? Right? Oh, and, and cereal box. Yeah, so that's the other thing too. It's like, okay, I get two Honey Nut Cheerios. Wow, that's, that's going to fill me up. Right? Oh. All right. I'll, I'll, stop, I'll stop at McDonald's on the way to work. Get a sausage, egg, and cheese McMuffin. You get into your car and your neighbor, across the street neighbor, they have parked their car right, right on the opposite side of the street of your, of, of your driveway. And so now it's a hassle to try to back out. Urgh. That's okay. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to maintain my joy. God, I just, I'm going to turn on my praise music in the car, right? And you can barely hear the praise music over your yelling at the traffic. Because it seems like everyone has descended upon Orlando, especially on Mondays. I don't know why Monday traffic is worse than every other day traffic, but Monday traffic is just, it's, it's unbelievable, right? And then you get to work. Well, we could talk about that all day, couldn't we? It's life. It's real life. And you're not the only one that experiences it. Everyone in the room experiences those issues, those challenges on some level. And it's easy for us to lose perspective. Here's, here's a different take. You get up in the morning and God has given you another day. You live in a country where you can freely worship. You might only get two little Honey Nut Cheerios out of that box. But for most of us, what we have to do is this. We have to put that box back in the cupboard because that's, you know, that's what you do, right? You don't throw it in the trash. You put it back in there for somebody else. Then you grab a different box, right? It, 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 it's, it's, not that, it's not that we're going to go hungry. It's a, it's a momentary inconvenience, And we, we get frustrated with traffic as we sit in our air-conditioned car. And then we're irritated by some of the activity at work where we are gainfully employed. It's a different perspective, isn't it? I wake up in the morning after being able, to, being able to sleep in a comfortable house on a comfortable bed. I get to choose from a wardrobe of clothes. I get to choose what I have for breakfast in the morning. God has provided me reliable trans transportation to get from point A to point B. And most of the days during the week, I get to go to a job that God has wonderfully provided that brings resource into my life that meets my needs. 
it is fitting for us to rejoice. You have a reason to celebrate this morning. You have a reason to be excited. You have a reason to stand, to raise your hands in worship and say, God, you have been so good to me. If you live at the poverty line in America, you are among the, the 7% of the richest people in the world. Let me say that again. If you live just above poverty line in America, you are among the 7% richest people on the planet. God has been good to you, my friend. It is fitting for us to rejoice. And it's fitting for us to rejoice. Look at this. He goes on. He says this. He says, I want you to praise the Lord. I want you to praise the Lord with the heart. Make music to him on the ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. David says this, we need, to, we need to sing a song. We need to sing a new song. It makes sense for us to rejoice because God comes through over and over and over and over again. See, God wants you to live with a smile on your face. God wants you to live with a song in your heart. God wants you to live with a swing in your step. And where that starts, friend, it's understanding and living in the hope that he has for you. In his great mercy, we looked at the scripture last Sunday, in his great mercy, he has given you new birth into a living hope. Right? And this living hope, it never perishes. It never spoils. It never fades. Right? It never dies. It never goes bad. It never diminishes. I have a reason to rejoice. I have a reason to sing. I have a reason to be a little bit excited. I have a reason to live life with this grin on my face. Because God is good and his mercy endures forever. He is faithful. The Lord loves righteousness and justice, he goes on to say. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand forever they stand firm forever the purposes of all his heart through all generations blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord the people who he chose for his inheritance for from heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind from his dwelling place he watches over all who live on earth he who forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do David makes this declaration we have a reason to rejoice in the Lord we have a reason to live our life filled with a sense of expectation. Why? Because God is powerful, right? By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. He keeps his promises. God is faithful. God is bigger than any adversary. 
He says, he says that let the people, uh, let all the earth uh, fear the Lord, let all the people of the world revere him. Right? The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. So God created you. God provides for you. He keeps his word to you. And he protects you. In that, it makes sense for, to live, for me to live my life, for you to live your life, for us to live our life with this sense of confident expectation. And that's what hope is, right? Hope is a confident expectation. It's a confident expectation. It's a confident expectation. If you came here this morning and you walked in as a skeptic, I I want you to know this, that God wants to bring a fundamental change to your life. And he wants you to connect with him in a very real way and to move you from living a life of skepticism, of of judgmentalism, and of frustration and anxiety. And instead, he wants you to live a life of confident expectation. Maybe you're here this morning and, and, and you came not as a skeptic, maybe you came as a seeker. You, you know there's something missing in your life. Well, you're in the right place because God's brought you here this morning for you to be able to connect with him and experience all that his presence brings into your day. Perhaps maybe your, your situation is different, that you're here and, and maybe you're here every Sunday morning and, and you come and, and Sundays are Sundays are a respite for you, okay? It's an opportunity for you to forget about the world for a little while and just come in and spend time in God's presence and spend time in God's people and in the time of worship. It's, it's a time of encouragement for you. The time that we look at Scripture, it's a time of challenge for you. But if you were to be honest, Once the final amen has said and you make your way back out to the car, it doesn't take long for the frustration to return. It doesn't take long for the anxiety to creep back in. It it doesn't doesn't take long for the doubt to come. It, It doesn't take long for a life of quiet or maybe not so quiet desperation to take hold. And so... Sundays at Calvary are your lifeline. I've got great news for you today. That God has so much more in store for you than a simply Sunday morning experience. He he wants to move you to a place of genuine hope. That what Hebrews 6 says, that it becomes more than a scripture reference for you, it it becomes a disposition. I have this hope as an anchor for my soul. And that anchor holds. I have this hope because I, I understand that God has made everything. And I understand that God has paid the ultimate price for me. And so, I place my hope, I place my hope in him. 
David makes an interesting statement. Look at this. In the 16th verse, he makes a statement. He says, No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. David understands this, right? This is the world that he lives in. He he knows what it's like to be a warrior. He has been a servant in Saul's army. He was the one who stood and fought Goliath. And as a result, has gained this reputation of almost superhero status. David, at least in his world, is the most powerful man on the planet at this point. And here's what he says. He says this, my position is not what brings me hope. And if we're not careful, what can happen is this, is we can place our hope in human ability. Friends, the hope that we have is not in who governs us. It's it's not in who has their finger on the pulse of the economy. It's not on the individual's who are motivating and moving culture. If our hope is on anything other than the God who has created us, the God who loves us, the God who redeems us, then we hope in vain. And I'm convinced in this. I'm convinced that false hope is worse than no hope. Let me say that again. I'm convinced that false hope is worse than no hope. Nations rise and fall. Companies, even companies that are considered too big to falter and fail, they rise and they fall. Do you remember, do you remember when it was impossible to take a picture without Kodak? Anybody else remember that? Okay, when was the last time you used a Kodak product? Right? We we, we couldn't imagine ever living without Kodak. In the the 1980s, I was in the computer business, and uh, there was this company out there called IBM. Right? IBM, International International Business Machines. I always called IBM industry's biggest mistake. But there was a a saying that no vice president was ever fired for buying IBM. And IBM dominated the personal computer world. Right? They had the IBM PC, then the PCXT, the PCAT. Okay? If If you were caught by their horrible marketing, you bought the IBM PC Junior with this chiclet keyboard. If you bought that, shame on you. Okay. Who here today owns and uses an IBM PC? Yeah, if you're still using an IBM PC, we want to we we ask you to come out of the 1980s. But that was a giant that would never disappear. Right? And IBM only still exists because they, they were able to shift to do some other things, but they are, they are a virtual non-entity in the PC world anymore. Did you ever think there would be a day where there wouldn't be a Kmart store? 
Well, if you've been in a Kmart in the last 20 years, you can believe it. But Sears, Sears at one time had the biggest building in the world. Right? Now they're saying in the next five years, Sears can completely disappear. See, we place our confidence, we place our hope in these things that simply will not last. And David says this, he says, don't, don't put your hope in a person. I think of even, I think even of people in ministry. Some of my greatest spiritual heroes have, have experienced such epic moral failures. And if my eyes were on them instead of my eyes being on Jesus, it would be very easy to become very quickly disillusioned. Why? Because we're human. Because we falter and fail. In fact, let me offer you this about me. Let me offer this about Ed Garvin. I believe that my motivation is very, is very pure in what I do. That being said, because of I'm human, if you get close enough to me, it's not a question of if I will do something to irritate you, disappoint you. It's a question of when. I, I, that's just being honest. It's, it's part of that, that, that thing of humanity. You know? Here's the thing. I clean up good on Sunday morning. All right? But throughout the week, I, listen, I'm, I, I, I live in the same world that you live in, and, and I face the same challenges, I face the same stresses, and I face the same temptations that you face. And I just want you to know, there is no S on this chest. At times, there should be a Q. And it's real easy for us to, 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 to put our hope, to place all our hope in a person. And, and we can't do that. David says it doesn't matter how powerful the king is. That's not where we should place our hope. He goes on to say this. He says, a horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Listen, who you're around or what you have should not be the source of your hope. Right? Because hope in human ability, hope, hope in human possession is a lesson in futility. But he, he goes on to say this. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those who hope, whose hope is in his unfailing love. I love that scripture. Let me give that to you again. The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. Okay. It says the eyes of the Lord are upon you. If you place your hope in him, that the eyes of the Lord are on you, and the eyes of the Lord are on you for two specific purposes, for two specific focuses. I want you to look at that in Psalm 33. Here's what it says in verse 19. It says, that the, 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 starting in verse 18, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in, his, is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death 
and keep them alive in famine. What are the biggest things that stress us? What are the biggest things that concern us? What are the biggest things that occupy our time and dominate our mind? It's that issue of protection and provision. Protection, let no harm come to me. Provision, let my needs be met. And here's what David says in Psalm 33. He says that the eyes of the Lord are on those who place their hope in him. And the eyes of the Lord are upon you to protect you and to provide for you. Right? To keep, to, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Let in him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. It's, it's one thing to come into a church sanctuary on a Sunday morning and say, my hope is in the Lord. It's another thing for that to be reality. So let, let's, talk about, let's talk about putting our hope in the Lord. What that looks like. God, my, my hope is in you. So what I'm going to do is this. The direction that you give me, I'm going to follow that direction. Okay, God, what do you tell me to do with my time? And if I look at how I handle my time, is my hope genuinely in you? God, how you direct and how you guide in, in, in the context of relationship, is my, is my hope genuinely in you? How about I go from preaching to meddling? God, in the way that I handle my finances and what your word tells me about how I'm supposed to approach my finances. Is my hope in you? Does the evidence of my life, oh God, say that my hope is in you? Or does the evidence of my life say that my hope is in these things of the world? Sometimes it's good to pause and to take a spiritual health checkup. And a major area, a major area is this issue of where we place our hope. Where we place our focus. In what do we find our confidence. David got that. And that's the reason why he says, no king is saved by the size of his army, no warrior escapes by his great strength. A, a horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him on those whose hope is an is unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. And David speaks, he speaks this prophetic statement. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing
unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Here's what I find to be really cool about this. That, that, that ending portion. We wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Okay? That issue of he is our help and our shield. If I'm shielded from something, I don't have to worry about it. He is my help and my shield. When I hear that, I I think of peace, right? He is my peace. In 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 a crazy world, he is my peace. In him, our hearts rejoice. He is my joy. See, God wants us to live a life of peace and joy. Life isn't meant to be endured. And life isn't simply meant to be experienced. Life is meant to be enjoyed. It's written about Jesus that he came enjoying life. Now, who would have been more conscious of the sin condition of the world around him? And make no mistake, the season of Jesus' earthly ministry is not one of of honeybees and, 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 and wonderful songs, right? Jesus was born into an environment that was violent. He was born into a culture that was oppressed. He was born into a time where his people were under the restrictive hand of a very oppressive government. The political authorities were profoundly corrupt. The religious community was impossibly deceived. And widely off track. Right? Jesus didn't didn't come into the world, his earthly ministry, in this season of of good times and, 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 and harmony. He saw the condition of sinful man all around him. And yet it's written about him that he came enjoying life. How could he do that? Because he understood. He understood the plan of grace. He understood the posture of the Father. 
And he knew beyond a shadow of the doubt that God was bigger than any temporary situation that was going on, that God was stronger than any authority in the world today. And so in that, Jesus modeled this disposition of joy. Because he fully understood and fully appropriated what David challenges us with in Psalm 33. That we don't find our hope in, in possessions. We don't find our hope in people. But that is a lesson in futility. But God has his eyes and his hand upon you when you place your hope in him. to protect you and to provide for you. And when we're living in that hope, it offers us peace and joy. See, that's, that's what we see in Psalm 33. And that's why David was able to write, it just makes sense for God's people to worship. It just makes sense for God's people to rejoice. I want to give this to you one more time. I want to recap. What does Psalm 33 say there? It says this. It says that trying to put our hope in people or possessions is futile. But when our hope is in the Lord, He protects us and He provides for us. And God's presence offers us the disposition of peace and joy. And the natural thing to do then in recognizing that is to cast all of our cares on him and worship him and thank him. If you came here this morning and life seems overwhelming to you, God brought you here today to say, I want you to shift perspective. I want, to ch I want you to change that which you're looking for, for hope. And I want you to take your eyes off of the things of the world, and I want you to put your eyes on me. I promise you it works. You came here this morning, and man, life's just working for you, and you're in a great season. You're not, you're not exempt from a challenge from the Lord this morning, because God brought you here today to say this. If that's the season you're in, if that's the lane you're in, then it's important that you offer a heartfelt expression of worship and praise to God, recognizing that He's got you. And doing that in such a way, making a demonstration of worship in such a way that it's an encouragement to those around you to be worshipers as well. And to encourage those who have yet to come underneath God's umbrella of hope to join you there. Because the peace and the joy that you know 
God wants the people around you to experience it as well. We have this hope as an anchor. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.